umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and here we are here to sift through the debris of another devastating loss of michigan to ohio state it's it's been a little bit of time so hopefully we we have some perspective Obviously, uh, still rough. Michigan losing by a score of fifty-six to twenty-seven to Ohio State at Michigan Stadium. Well, Clint, given uh, some time between now and, and the game, uh, what are your thoughts? I um, I wasn't as shocked, at least this year, as I was last year, but I'm still pretty surprised that it turned out <clears throat> uh, looking the same way, giving up. Uh, you know, 56 points was uh, was definitely surprising. I mean, it seemed like Ohio State could could do anything that they wanted whenever they wanted. So um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I wish that I did, but uh, I don't think I, I don't think the gap between the programs quite mirrors the results from the last two years um, in terms of something to hold on to, but. You know, that's it's kind of grasping at straws. I mean, at this point, it's clear that uh, Ohio State is uh, you know, head and shoulders ahead of Michigan as a program. And uh, Michigan's got their work cut out for them to try to close the the numerous gaps and, and try to move up to that level. But, you know, it's you're not going to be at that level until, uh, you know, until you're beating Penn State on the road and Wisconsin on the road and. You know, there were other signals that, that it wasn't going to, ha- <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't going to happen this year. But, um, you know, the, the way that they uh, had things coming together and clicking, you and I were, were optimistic. And, you know, I, I, I maintain some optimism going forward. I don't think that it's uh, insurmountable. But, man, that was uh, it was hard to watch because uh, there are no excuses. They're, they're just better. And Michigan's got some work to do. It's interesting for me because having watched not only the Michigan-Ohio State game, but a few of the other elite programs over the last several years, I think the realization is dawning on me that if if and when Michigan turns this thing around against elite programs, and, and when I say elite programs, again, I, I mean you have – Ohio State in the Big Ten year in and year out. You have Wisconsin this season. We'll see if they can sustain it. Um, and and I think you know Penn State is is a click above Michigan right now, but definitely not the gap uh, between Michigan and Penn State that there is between Michigan and Ohio State. But when we're talking about elite programs, it's dawning on me that defense is not going to be the thing that that turns it around. I don't think you're going to see a defense limit an elite program to two or three touchdowns. So I think it behooves Michigan to continue with the transformation of their offense that we've seen this year. And and I think that's going to be the key. I think that what's going to need to happen is they're going to need to be able to get in a shootout, slow the other team down with their defense as much as they can, but I don't think that uh, we're going to, at least with the way the rules are set up and the talent is distributed right now, I don't think we're we're going to see a defense that 
is going to be able to to pitch, you know, a single digit, uh, hold a single digit uh, score, you know, a team like Ohio State to a single digit score. I think uh, the way the offenses set, are set up and RPO and the different way that the offense is kind of favored. So with that said, I agree with what what you said about Michigan and Michigan and Ohio State. It's odd because I'm looking at the scores, right? And we lost by 23 points last year, 62 to 39, and and 29 points this year, right? 56-27. But in a lot of ways, I feel that we're on the right path now, whereas last year I I didn't feel that. Um, you know, and going back, I, I watched the the game tape. You know, I'm I'm a glutton for punishment, so I watched the game tape for a third time uh, over this week. And the thing that stands out to me is that you are not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with an elite program and have the mistakes in the first half that Michigan did. You know, there is a talent gap, and you're going to need to play, you know, better. And and I think the thing that stood out to me was unforced errors, right? So Michigan comes out of the shoot, scores a touchdown, the stadium is rocking, and you miss an extra point. Right. So right there and then when Ohio State comes back and answers with a touchdown, you're chasing a point. Right. You know, and then you had the you know, a little bit later, you had Kalik Hudson jump off sides. Right. You you have a chance to get Ohio State off the field and perhaps, um, you know, at that point you're down, you know, at least a touchdown. You have a chance to at least keep hold serve, keep pace and. You know, he jumps offside, and Ohio State comes down and scores, and and you're off to the races. So you have you just can't do that against an elite program, whether you're playing at home or not. Yeah, I I think your your points well taken. This uh this was kind of a fitting cap to the 2019 regular season. You know, I think you had a really what you ended up with was a, a dash of all of the different problems or mistakes or, or issues that Michigan had shown throughout the year on the offensive side of the ball. You had some key turnovers, um, you know, that the fumbled snap by Shea Patterson was really just, not only was it a killer um, in terms of being in the red zone on your way, way in for at least a, a field goal attempt, but, you know, possibly a touchdown. But um, it, as far as the game flow, right, the, the game was still back and forth at that point. Um, had they scored a touchdown on that drive, they would have been back, you know, within a point. So um, it was at right after that fumble that, uh, you know, the defense stepped up and got a stop, and then Kalik Hudson jumped off sides two plays after that offsides penalty that, Ohio State was in the end zone, so that that was really a, a, a huge turning point in the in the flow of the game, where you were kind of standing toe to toe with the Buckeyes there until that point. That's when uh, Michigan really flinched, and 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 Ohio State started to pull away, and then continued to pull away in the third quarter. But um, so those turnovers on the offensive side of the ball kind of reared the ugly head again. Uh, drops from the receivers, which um, popped up here and there. Uh, through the season that that came back to haunt us again and um, on defense you had a combination of uh, you know bad run fits or um, 
you know, not a lack of a push from your interior defensive line. You know, there, there was just not, not a lot of fundamentally sound run technique from the defense um, against J.K. Dobbins and uh, and that Ohio State offensive line. So many, so many times uh, when I did manage to rewatch it, I only rewatched it once, but when I managed to rewatch it, so many times that Ohio State was really was really move, moving their offensive linemen uh, aggressively and getting really clean shots on, on the linebackers, you know, and you're playing Kalik Hudson and uh, Jordan Glasgow at linebacker. They're a little bit undersized. Those are not the kind of guys that can take on your uh, centers, guards, and tackles from the offense, you know, head up and, and still make plays in the run game. So just uh, just did not, not execute well, did not play well. Uh, on the interior of the defense and it shows in the the rushing stats. And then uh, on top of that, you know, Ohio state was able to blow the top off the defense too. You know, um, Don Brown is, is taking a lot of uh, heat um, in, in the fan base and, and in some media circles, but I'll tell you what, the, the scheme was set up to eliminate the big plays and, and to try to have a, a counter for the, uh, the crossing routes that really hurt Michigan last year. And I'll tell you what, it, they just threw the ball right over top of the zone. You know, the, the receivers were running right past deep safeties. They weren't beating man-to-man coverage. You know, they were just throwing it right over the top of a two-deep zone, which is, you know, just uh, frustrating, frustrating that um, all of those different um, poor execution problems and uh, and shortcomings – all kind of rolled into one ball and, and that's how you end up with a blowout. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, it is what it is. It's plain and simple. It's there to see. I, again, I think if Michigan continued to play well in this game, then, you know, then they're in it in the second half. They're probably, you know, playing with a, with a chance to, to try to win the game or, or try to pull out a close game uh, at the end if they had uh, avoided some of those mistakes in the second and the third quarter, but um, Ohio state was just um, maddeningly efficient. They scored 14 points in every quarter. They had 47% success rate passing and 49% success rate running. Whatever they did, whenever they did it, it worked at about the same clip and uh, Michigan uh, had some things working, but uh, when they faltered, Ohio State didn't. They just every time Michigan made a mistake, they fell behind by another step, and all of a sudden uh, the Buckeyes were out of view. We couldn't even catch up anymore. You know, and that was one of the problems that when you have those kind of unforced errors in the first half, and, and again, I, I consider the Shea Patterson fumble unforced. Nobody touched him. I mean, it was inexplicable, right? We it's the kind of thing that. Even earlier in the season when Michigan was turning the ball over way too much, it was at least because they were getting hit or it was, you know, in the process of being tackling. Just just that really just summed up the game for me as I rewatched it. You just, you know, you slapped your head and just went, oh, my gosh. You know, the, the daggers, you know, sunk in and just kept getting pushed deeper and deeper. But the thing about it is, that a lot of, I would say, pundits are going on and on about the talent gap. 
And there's no doubt that, you know, if you look at the recruiting classes and you look at the play on the field, there is definitely a recruiting gap. But, you know, you, you made a good point about the defense, and this is why I'm, I'm kind of giving Don Brown somewhat of a pass. Um, I'm not nearly as critical as, as, as some other people. Um, you know, they took care of Chase Young, right? One of the best defensive players in the nation, you know, he, he sat out a few games. He was, he was fresh. And, you know, you know, we, you and I talked in the press box. If I had told you, you know, going into that game that at halftime, Michigan was Shea Patterson was going to pass for 250 yards, have one turnover and that Chase Young was not going to be a factor at all. I think you would have agreed that that we would have assumed Michigan was doing pretty well in the game, and that was not the case. So back to the to the my point about the talent gap. You can look at the recruiting classes and you can look at what's happening on the field, but I think that ignores what happens after the players are recruited. It really kind of ignores all the time that they spend in the weight room, all the time they spend with the coaches, the schemes. Um, the play calls. So, you know, there was a, a, a line of thought that said what that it says, well, Michigan lost to Ohio State and it's going to be like this way forever because Ohio State keeps having top recruiting classes. And I, I think that's defeatist. I think it's simplistic. And you can be uh, sure that when, you know, during the John Cooper era that Ohio State was not assuming that Michigan was was going to dominate forever just because of where they were in recruiting. And I think that what we're I think the reason I feel better about this year's loss versus last year's loss is that I think what what you what you saw is again, you make a few mistakes against a high-powered offense and they're going to pull away quick. And Michigan really was out of their offensive set in the second half. You can't, you really can't run. You really just kind of, you know, you, you lose a lot of the options that you have and you're forced to pass and then it becomes a, a self-defeating cycle, right? You're always trying to pass. They know what to expect and, and you're passing. You have some incomplete passes and you're, you're off the field very quick and you're putting their offense right back in and they're right in rhythm. So, you know, it's kind of like w- when things go bad, uh, against a really good offense like Ohio State, they go bad quick and, and it looks really bad. So, um, not to belabor it, but Michigan needs to do better. The coaches need to do better. Um, so, Clint, one thing I wanted to ask you: um, you know, you were with the team at at one point when Michigan was having, um, you know, battling Ohio State. One of the things that some of the Ohio State players say is that they just, at this point in the rivalry, they take it more seriously than Michigan does. That basically it is a, you know, the top thing. When they get on campus, they're told they're here to come beat Michigan. And it's interesting because there was a time where, and I'm thinking in the Lloyd Carr era, where Michigan's, you know, top three priorities were to win the Big Ten, beat Ohio State, and go to the Rose Bowl. And there was a contingent of fans who were critical of that, saying, listen, 
your goal needs to be win a national championship. And, and I would always say, listen, if you do those three things, you're pretty much on the path to winning a national championship. It's not like you're, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be in a position. It seems that Ohio State has put a priority on beating Michigan and has still exceeded just beating Michigan and has, it continues to achieve on an elite level. What is your thought on the perception that Ohio State is winning because they take it more seriously? I I think that um, I think that their <laughs> their ability or their their right to say that or the privilege to say that comes with the, the dominance that they've shown in the rivalry in the last you know sixteen to twenty years. Um, I think that's a, a very uh, astute way or, or, or a pretty uh, sneaky way of rubbing some salt in the wound. Um, I, I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think that, uh, how seriously the coaches or the players take the, the rivalry or the game is, is accounting for much of the difference, uh, personally. Um, with that said, what, uh, what I think a big difference between the programs is to, to kind of, continue on with your comment about the uh the the talent gap and the recruiting i i I tend to agree with you the talent gap is is legitimate but it's not it's not that's oversimplified to say that that is the thing it is a thing um to me i think that the the key difference is that the the best players um for ohio state over the past, let's just say, 10 years, to, to use a nice round number, their best players have stepped up and made big plays in key games. And, and I don't I, – I said this, I think, in a, in a previous podcast earlier this season. I can't remember the last time that Michigan had a player that you really you, – everybody in the stadium, 115,000 people all knew that this is the guy Michigan's going to look to to make a play. And – guess what? He got the ball and he made the play. The last guy that I can think of is Denard Robinson. And before that, it probably does go back to, uh, you know, Braylon Edwards, you know, back when, when I was in school and, and a manager with the team, I think (coughs) the, the best players, the most talented players, the players that are, um, that have earned the, the title of captain or, um, enjoy a leadership role in the team, they have to consistently step up and make the plays in the biggest moment. And and I am, it's not, it's, this is not a knock on any particular player. This is a a cultural leadership issue that, that I think needs to be addressed first. This is the reason that they struggled on the road all of last year. It's the reason that they couldn't write the ship when things started to go wrong in Wisconsin. And it's the, it's the reason that they let things slide at Penn State too far to be able to come back, right? And it's the reason that you could see a little bit of woe is me and, and a little bit of pouting in that third quarter against the Buckeyes. I think you, you need somebody that can lead by example and take charge. It, it's not about being a rah-rah guy. It's about taking charge of the moment and seizing the moment and making a play and leading by example and 
Um, we've got guys that can do it, but, but it's really an attitude. I think, I think, um, Devin Bush, um, was that a lot of times, uh, in his career at Michigan when, when he sensed a, a big moment, he, he typically made big plays, you know? Um, but in, in the biggest spots in the rivalry games, you know, I, the, the last guy I remember making a big play and a big moment against Ohio state is Denard Robinson. And, and if I'm, if I'm missing one, please remind me, but I, that's, that's the difference. You know, who, who, who do we have that's going to step into that role, earn the earn the respect of his teammates to kind of take charge of the team in those big moments and then consistently do it? And, and when everybody else knows that you're the guy, you still do it, right? It, it's, a, it's a mental and, and psychological edge that I think Michigan needs to get back to. And I think that certainly starts at the top. You know, I think um, I think Jim Harbaugh took a little bit of – his own emotion and compartmentalized it and tucked it away after uh, being flagged in the, uh, in the Ohio state game in 2016 and really costing the team some issues. Um, I'm sure he, he, he does that because he think it's, it's for the best and, uh, you know, far be it for me to, to, to question his, his thought process. But um, I'll tell you what, some of, some of that real fire and emotion and passion and, um, playing with a really, really sharp edge um, and, and wanting the challenge and, and wanting those uh, wanting those battles and wanting those fights and wanting to come up big in those moments. I, I think um, the program would be would be better served to get back to uh, to you know the Jim Harbaugh that that was really, really, really intense in every single competitive moment. Um, because there, there's a piece of that missing. There's, there's a flavor, a little bit of spice that's missing. And I, I think that that's, uh, as big a factor as, as any of the other issues that we're discussing. I agree there. And again, I, I agree with you that I, I don't want to call any specific player out. Um, I think mentioning coach Harbaugh is, is ideal. He's the coach, he's the leader. He's played in this rivalry. He understands what this rivalry is. And when we're looking over his five-year tenure so far, while I am disappointed that Michigan has not played in a Big Ten championship, the thing that grates me the most is that we haven't beaten Ohio State. And when I'm looking at his resume over these five seasons, you know, I keep going back to 2016 where – you know, Michigan took them to overtime and you flip a few bits, flip a few plays and Michigan wins that. And at least, okay, we know we can beat them. Right. Um, it, it sure feels bad right now. It feels like, and, and I think that a lot of the angst over the talent gap, which I agree with you is not, you know, nearly as wide as, as many would, would perceive, but a lot of the angst is well, we haven't seen Michigan beat Ohio state. Right. I mean, the last time Michigan beat Ohio State was in 2011, and that was that, uh, I call it the fickle gap year, right? Um, nestled right between Trestle and Urban Meyer. And before then, you got to go back to 2003. So it, it's really frustrating to me that, you know, I have a 21-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old daughter who 
their whole lives, what they know is Ohio State dominance. And that is that is really frustrating. Um, you know, and it's one of the things I always say, the hammer and nail aren't rivals, and Michigan is the nail right now. And hopefully Coach Harbaugh is, is in the midst of changing that, but it, it it's really, really hard to take. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, I have I have three kids, and, and not one of them have ever seen Michigan beat Ohio State. Um, you know, so like I said, it's it's not – this is – it's certainly not a criticism of any specific player, um, especially from this year's team. I think that they're, they're capable of beating Ohio State despite the fact that they haven't. I think Harbaugh is the right coach for the program despite the fact that his five-year resume is, is not what we had hoped, <clears throat> even reasonable people. You know, I, I, the people that thought that there was going to be instant multiple national championships were, were somewhat unreasonable, but uh, we certainly thought that there'd be at least uh, a handful of victories against Ohio State and, and, and one or two or three Big Ten title uh, berths. So, um, you know, it's, it's been underwhelming, but that's – that's just the challenge that is here now, right? That the, that's the the hurdle that now has to be cleared. And I think, um, while while I'm saying that, I don't have any doubt that the program, the staff, and the head coach care as much as the people in in Columbus about the rivalry game. I think that that's a little bit ridiculous. I do think that the 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 real, real kind of maniacal attention to detail and, and the hyper-competitiveness that we know is there within Jim Harbaugh, to me it feels like he's kind of got the reins or a harness on, on that part of him, and, and maybe it's time to just kind of unleash that as as a head coach and, and as a program and, and kind of take that back as your uh, identity um, as a football program and – and see where that takes you. You know, I, I, I still <clears throat> maintain that that was kind of um, the 2018 game in East Lansing, right, with the uh, all the pregame stuff with uh, the Spartan walk and, and trying to intimidate Devin Bush and, and the other players. And they really kind of tore that open and, and, and unleashed uh, somewhat of a beast there. And and that's the best game that Michigan played on the road last year. You know, that's that's not a coincidence. <laughs> that's not a coincidence. You know, there there's there's something to be said about that. Football's an emotional game. And I think uh, <clears throat> somehow I, I hope that Michigan finds a way to tap back into that um, consistently. And uh, I know that they're capable and I think that they've got a. a an opportunity coming in, in the coming bowl game to uh, to show exactly uh, what what this team in 2019 and what the program going forward is capable of. I agree. So uh, as Michigan prepares for the Citrus Bowl, news broke that wide receiver Tariq Black has entered the transfer portal. Um, I was kind. Of, I wasn't surprised. And, you know, it's one of those things where when you have the opportunity to talk to the players after the games and in, avail- and in availability, you know, he's kind of, he's had a, he's had a rough go here, right? 
you know, he's had injuries. And I think um, with the emergence of Ronnie Bell, and um, it, it just seems like Tariq Black has, has was kind of the forgotten guy in the offense this year. Um, and again, it, it, it's weird. If you'd said, hey, a receiver has entered the portal, who would it be? I would have guessed him. So I, I'm not surprising. It's too bad. You know, a guy with a lot of talent, you know, a good guy. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the news that uh, it looks like he's um, seeking opportunities elsewhere? Well, um, number one, I think he's a uh, he's kind of a victim of, of misfortune. You know, the, the injury, the bad luck he's had with injuries in the last two seasons certainly play the largest role in, in where we stand right now with Tariq Black. He, he was off to a great start. You know, he he and uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins all came in in the same class, class of 17, and there were high hopes for that true freshman receiving core. And Tariq Black was without a doubt for, through the first three games of that 17 season, he was without a doubt head and shoulders more ready to be a college receiver than than the rest of that group and after he hurt his he broke his foot in that third or fourth game and then broke his foot right before the start of last season the other foot he was not able to develop at the same pace as his contemporaries in that class and that's truly unfortunate and and the the saddest part of of why we are where we are but Fast forward to the uh, the end of 2019, I think he's clearly, you know, he's clearly number four uh, in that wide receiver room. Um, I can understand why that, that may be frustrating for somebody who um, three seasons ago at the beginning of 17 was probably the number one receiver and, and had higher hopes for himself and, and where he's at. Um, can't really uh, blame the guy for trying to find an opportunity to shine. Uh, more so than he has right now. Um, so I, I, I wish him the best. I, uh, I'm, I'm with you that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't shocked by the news. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps this is a, one of the signals that the, uh, the other guys that may be uh, deciding on an NFL future, um, maybe, you know, thinking about coming back and he doesn't see, um, the opportunity to open up in front of him or, or maybe he's just frustrated. So um, I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't have any, any true insight into uh, how he's approaching this decision, but I have, uh, I wish nothing for the, you know, but the best for him, somebody's going to get a really good outside receiver. You know, he's six, two, 200 pounds, six, four, 200 pounds, um, adjust to the ball. Well, can run the deep routes and uh, has shown good hands. Um, I just, I wish that it had worked out better, and, and I think uh, he he's a guy that really let some of his frustration affect um, his actions on the field instead of uh, instead of climbing over top of the misfortune and the frustration that he felt. I think it affected his play um, at times, and 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 that probably kind of started to spiral. The more he got frustrated, the more he let it show, and the more he let it show, the worse he played. <clears throat> and uh, the worse he played, the more frustrated he got, and it affected him worse. So 
Um, hopefully a fresh start gives him a, a better opportunity to, to show his, uh, his true talents. And I, uh, I hope that he doesn't land anywhere that he comes back to bite, uh, to bite the Wolverines because, uh, I, I think he's a good receiver and wherever he goes, he's going to be just fine. Which leads us to Michigan's bowl opponent, Alabama. If prior to the season, you told me that Michigan would be playing Alabama, during the bowl season, I would have hoped it would have been in the college football playoffs. It is not to be, but it is. Michigan will face them in the Citrus Bowl. And, you know, there are a lot of Michigan fans who are dreading this matchup. And I, you know, there were rumors spinning around that even um, people close to the program and in the administration were considering not taking this bowl. Um, perhaps choosing a, a more manageable opponent. But, you know, I, I like that Michigan's going to play Alabama. You know, if, if you're going to go to a bowl game, whatever the result, I think you want to play in the largest stage that you can with the most attention and against the top, you know, the best opponent. So um, I'm really interested in seeing this game. Um, I'm excited about it. Now, I, I would have to admit that when you look at an Alabama team that is a mere eight points away from being undefeated and in the college football playoffs and, you know, lost to LSU by five and Auburn by three, uh, it's definitely going to be a challenge. But I, I'm looking forward to see how Michigan can match up. And if Michigan can come out with a victory, it definitely puts a positive spin on the season and gives them a chance to, to rinse a little bit of the bad taste of Ohio State away. What do you think? Um, I agree with, with those things. And, and what I'm reminded of is uh, after the loss in Madison against Wisconsin, the game after that was Rutgers. And, and what you and I talked about and what I wrote about was that it didn't matter what happened <laughs> at home against Rutgers that you, you, it Rutgers couldn't do anything or Michigan couldn't do anything against Rutgers that would take the sting out of the Wisconsin loss. We still wouldn't know if Michigan was any good because it was Rutgers and no matter what happened, they would have that caveat. And when, when I heard the rumors of, um, you know, not wanting Alabama or, or, the, the sentiment from the fan base that was, you know, somehow afraid uh, to play Alabama. It's like, well, why would we want to be back into a situation where we, you know, slumped into a, a, a lesser bowl game than we were capable of getting into and beat a lesser team just to put ourselves in the, in the question mark spot again of, yeah, but was it because that's a bad team? Was it because you played, you know, a, a lesser opponent, you know, I, I would rather match back up against a, a team at the level that you, you know, program at the elite level that you want to, to measure yourself against and, and, and go get it again. You're, you're only going <clears> to <throat> improve um, your, your player's capability of stepping up in big moments by putting them in big moments. And um, you know, the holiday bowl against uh, you know, Clay Helton and the USC Trojans and, and, or, or, or the Gator bowl against uh, T 
Tennessee or, or, or Kentucky, you know, those moments are, aren't exactly the, uh, <laughs> the iron sharpens iron moments that I think this program needs. I think, uh, for players that want to, uh, want to be able to show that they're NFL ready, you know, whether it's, uh, Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples Jones or Sean McCune, Josh Uche has declared for the draft. You know, if those guys want to, to show that they're uh, NFL ready, then, then yeah, go do it against uh, Alabama and, and, and that roster. And, and, you know, probably if not the best, then one of the top five greatest coaches of, of in college football history, you know, what, what Nick Saban's put together as a dynasty um, is truly, truly remarkable. And as much as we talk about the, the gap with Ohio state and Michigan, you know, Alabama is a, a click or two above them, you know, over the last 10 years. So um, you, you need you need this opportunity because uh, your, our team is only going to get better at tackling big challenges by being faced with big challenges. So you, you have to put yourself in this spot. And if, if Michigan doesn't play well again and gets blown off the field by Alabama, then you you know you know more about what needs to be fixed. Right. It's more about now individual player challenges. It's about uh, challenging the coaching staff and their uh, position groups. Right. It's it's a it's kind of a reckoning and a a come to Jesus moment for for the entire program. And if it goes poorly, then then it's an evaluation tool and we move into next season and make the the required changes. But um Shying away from the opportunity is the absolute worst thing that could have happened. So I'm I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did for a, for a nine and three season. I'm glad that there's a bowl game that uh, we'll know a lot more about the uh, the the uh, internal makeup of our program um, on on January second. I think, except for Michigan's record, this is the most appealing bowl game in recent memory for me. You know, we, we had Florida last year. We had Florida, you know, uh, you know, prior to that. And I think one of the team, one of the things I sensed from talking to the team before the Peach Bowl last year was there wasn't a lot of excitement. There, there didn't seem to be a lot to be gained by a victory. Um, and, and I guess the way I would explain it is I don't think that Florida had their attention. Like, you know, and much like you said with Rutgers, there was, there was no way they were going to go in and dominate and, and make things that much better. Um, there's definitely no excuse playing Alabama. A win against Alabama, whether against an, you know, an undefeated Alabama team, which we would have preferred, or a two-loss Alabama team, it's still Alabama. And like you said, they are, they are the elite if you look at the last, you know, four or five years. So I think that this is a chance for Michigan to measure up against a top program. It's, it'll be interesting to see Nick Saban up close again. Of course, we saw him when he played for Michigan State and, um, I, or when he coached at Michigan State. And I always like to remember, you know, it, it, it's somewhat forgotten, but when he left Michigan State, you know, he, at his press conference, he said, you know, one of the reasons I'm leaving is it was always Michigan. No matter how much success he had at Michigan State, Michigan dominated the headlines and the psyche of, of people here in the state. 
And I think that, um, you know, it can be, it can be honestly said that Michigan chased him from, you know, Michigan state. And of course he went on to LSU and a very brief tenure in the NFL and then Alabama. So, um, I got to believe that there's somewhat of a specter there, uh, a, a ghost, a boogeyman in his head, um, from his time here. And, uh, he'll be looking to make a statement against Michigan, definitely in a year where, uh, Michigan is reeling a little bit, but there's an equal statement to be made if Michigan can come in and beat Alabama. And I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely excited about this, about this bowl game opportunity. Yeah. I'm, I, I personally, you know, I, I love watching, I love watching football, you know, pretty much any two teams, but I, I just absolutely love watching Michigan games. Um, now that I've got kids, I love, I love celebrating with them when Michigan scores a touchdown. Um, you know, it's, it, no matter what, it's it's great to, to be able to watch our team um, uh, in the bowl season. So, um, regardless, you know, I, I'm excited about it. Um, I, you know, I, I, I kind of already told you why I'm happy that it's Alabama. I agree with uh, what you're saying that it's that's an exciting game. I felt that way also about the Florida State game in 2016 <clears throat> until the uh, the game time decision by Jabril Peppers not to play. Um, although he said that the, it was injury related, you know, I think it's become more common for, uh, you know, guys that see themselves in the first round of the NFL draft have uh, more and more frequently sat out. But uh, that's kind of a cultural thing. I don't think that that's, uh, you know, I think that's more of today's players in the day and age and uh, much more so than anything that's specific to Michigan or their players. So. Anyway, I, uh, I'm excited for the game. I, I am glad that it's a, a big challenge um, because we'll know more about uh, the, uh, the mental toughness of, uh, of our players and our coaching staff. And um, I'm already starting to, uh, to try to put together, you know, my thoughts on, on what it's going to be uh, in 2020. I think there's, uh, there's still a lot to be excited about uh, in this program. I think some of the folks that have totally written it off or, or totally uh, kind of uh, closed their uh, their own emotional states down because they're tired of getting hurt by the program. Um, I can understand the frustration, but uh, uh, it's going to be a lot more exciting um, when when Michigan finally does uh, you know tackle that that monster and finally does slay the dragon and uh, get back to to the top. You know, it's going to make it that much more exciting. So uh, hopefully sooner rather than later and uh, a big opportunity coming in, in, in a couple weeks here. I agree. And we'll have much to discuss as we get closer to the game. That's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And as always, Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.